y dos. Y dos. Una. Y dos. Una. Y dos. Hello and welcome to Cortez NYC live stream, the podcast. This show broadcasts out of New York City. We are your hosts, Cortez NYC. And Carla de Puerto Rico. And on this show, we talk about art, creativity, city life from a Latino perspective. I'm a visual artist. And I'm a singer. And this is episode 94, Working in New York City. As always, you can find us on iTunes, Stitcher, Podbean, and Spotify, and on social media, on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Uh, this episode, we have a great interview with Marie Cecile Flajou. I had met Marie back in the day when I was painting at Five Points, the building in Long Island City. Uh, now she's the curator of the Museum of Street Art for Citizen Emma Hotel down in the Bowery in New York City. And she's also part of the collective, the Five Points Creates Collective, which they create uh, art events around the world. So uh, listen in on this interview. Let's get on with it. Let's go. So on this episode, I wanted to finally get Marie on the podcast. Uh, it's been a long time coming. Um, even from day one that I started the podcast, I was like, I got to get Marie on here. But um, Marie, I've known for a long time. Uh, she, We've gotten to know each other over the years. Um, we've met uh, through graffiti and through mutual friends and uh, shared our passion for wine and all things liquor and food. Uh, so it's fitting that we're having this episode here in her kitchen. So this is Marie in her kitchen. Because Mears I had to do while driving. <laughs> Mears was the drive with Mears. Marie will be in the kitchen. Um, but uh, so Marie, introduce yourself. How do you, what, what, how do people know you? How should they know you? My full name is Marie Cecile Flajol. What? Um, they know me as that girl with a Z. Uh, I decided to embrace someone making fun of my accent and inability to pronounce TH like most <laughs> French people. I'm known as Frenchie uh, and I'm known as Legs. Wow, Legs. Yeah, shout out to Dane. <laughs> Dane too from the Bronx. So, we know each other from back in the day, Five Points. Correct. From Mears. How Correct. did you end up at Five Points? Uh, how did I end up at Five Points? I actually got in touch so i moved to new york in 97 i think the first time i actually physically entered the loading dock was probably 2003 um and it was kind of a not busy day so i just walked around i think i was driving i don't remember where i was driving back but went through queens and saw the top of the building and we made a loop to kind of walk around and then i first met um, years in 2005 um, and I was looking for a graffiti artist for a corporate job. What were you, what were you doing? I was working in event and marketing in mm. New York. That's kind of originally why I moved to New York in 97. Okay. And so it was an event for a French car company that I was doing in Tribeca, the classic car club. And I wanted to have a graffiti artist paint a super large-scale canvas live. What did you know about graffiti back then? Well, so that's kind of funny because I knew more about street art because 
chronologically, and people don't realize this, political street art in France started in the 50s and 60s, and the actual art of lettering was burst in France really in the early 80s, directly influenced by New York, and kind of brought back by artists such as Black Lerat from Paris, Mystique, all these artists who were street artists. So I knew much more about street art because you had more street art on the walls of Paris than you had actual lettering gotcha. and actual graffiti. Uh, but being in New York and having been in New York as early as 1990, I knew a lot about seeing it and kind of enjoying it. So um, to me, it was a very East Coast and a very New York thing. Um, and so I met Mears for the first time um, interviewing him for that job. What'd you think? Were you impressed? I thought he was an asshole. I thought, <laughs> I thought, he, was a, I thought he was a great artist. I mean, there's a whole, this is a story that I tell and Mears tell and obviously they always come different. He, he came for a meeting at my office on 44th between 5th and 6th. At the time he was with his ex-girlfriend and he walked in the office and like made her like sit in the waiting room and was kind of like, I felt he was very bossy and you have to realize my entire office was female. Mm. We had no male in the that office. That didn't fly. So we kind of like observed how he was like, kind of like treating her. Yeah. But either or, I was very professional at the time. So I kind of was like, you're the man for the job, hired him. Um, the, the event was great and we started working together. Um, around that time and then collaborated on many other projects um, and then after the staircase collapsed in 2009 and we knew each other better at that point he kind of asked if I wanted to help with some of the events and even volunteer at five points and I kind of jumped on that okay and so then eventually you just kind of became part of that that whole movement and you just you yeah I don't know I, if they adopted you or you adopted them but <laughs> actually I think they, were, they had no choice. Yeah. It was kind of like French girl keeps on like showing up and telling us to put ladders away and to be quiet and not to curse. Um, yeah, I think there were like some people embraced uh, my presence, uh, others didn't. And you know, that usually happens when you try to bring change or structure. Well, I mean, also that never existed, that role never existed in the field. Exactly. So to the culture, that's like, well, what role are you playing? Like, what, exactly. It's, it's weird. So exactly. I, that's understandable. That's, exactly. Yeah. No, no, of course. But um, but okay. So then, so then you you became a real serious part of Five Points, and I mean, we don't want to get too deep into that, but but you you were there throughout the rest of the life of, of Five Points, yep. the rest of its existence, even up to this whole court case and everything. Um, but you along the way, you've been doing events. Right? Like yeah. What kind of yeah. events do you handle or what, what did you do? So, primarily like corporate events um, was kind of like what I did for firms. So whether it's pharmaceutical or fashion. Um, How did you get into that? Like most events, people, yeah. like most people trying to do something else, which was not working out. And then you end up in events because <laughs> you have a set of skills. Um, I originally kind of like really wanted to be a... When I first came to New York and I was 16, I was like, I'm going to have an art gallery or I'm going to reopen the factory of Andy Warhol. Or I'm going to write for the Village Voice. Uh, that was kind of like my vision, you know. I, to bring back time. Exactly. <laughs> to I, rewind time somehow. Yeah, I was kind of like, I'm going to live in a loft or in a brownstone in Brooklyn. I've done both, so I'm doing pretty well on my like dream list of shit. Um, but I've never returned for the Village Voice, unfortunately. Um, nor do I own an art gallery. But so... 
events mainly for the French market um, with different firm and then started my own firm. Um, in 2000, early 2011, late 2010. So for like for like people that wouldn't know what events are, like describe what what it kind of give us a little like kind of. Well, I think the what term it, yeah. So so there are different like way of defining it. I like the term producer because that's really what I can do. So I get hired to um, curate and come up with all the creative and the purpose of the client can differ. It can be to like host their top investors. It can be a press junket where you're introducing a new product and a brand wants to expose it to the press or now like a big thing is influencers, obviously. Whatever it is, it's kind of like you're the master of ceremony, but you're also kind of the brain behind it. So you write what we call guidelines, which is a story. So defining a venue, a mood, a story, and then based on that, once it's approved, you source all the talent and all the components and contract everybody and then make it happen. What do you think are your, what are the biggest skills that you use, your biggest creative talents that you use in to do this, to make this job happen? I think I'm a very good listener when it comes to brands and clients, and I really try to become whatever the product or the brand or the story or the purpose is and I do a lot of research and then it comes to me fairly easily whether it's uh, what the musical tone is going to be, what the food influence is going to be, it's very easy for me to kind of set the tone and, and create a cohesive narrative and also make sure that there is a crescendo in an evening. You don't want the magic to happen within five minutes and you don't want it to happen towards the end end because at that point you've lost people's attention. So it's kind of like directing a play, I guess. So, I mean, so, I mean, it sounds like you could be doing weddings, right? Like, why not do weddings? Like, what, what separates you from, let's say, a wedding planner? Or what separates you from, like, a... Well, I don't like mother-in-laws. <laughs> so that's one reason why I would never do uh, weddings. Also, when you deal with weddings, you deal with people's, like, personal life and emotion. Right. Um, and that's not something I'm interested in. So what, what, what motivates you to do these these specific clients and these It's usually clients. to create something that can never be reproduced, force them to experience something they would never experience otherwise, with the blessing of a client. Got you. Uh, but I was just working on an event, unfortunately, you know, we're in March 2020 and coronavirus is all over the place, but I was just working on an event which was to happen in Paris and I integrated graffiti and uh, a really old school DJ and a lot of very urban element for an experience for a brand which would be quintessential Upper East Side, Townhouse and the Met. Hmm. Um, and I think that's kind of, a, the clients called me in Paris, Wikipedia, uh, <laughs> two days we spent together. Um, but it was everything, you know, I, I told them that Chad Becker uh, Let's Get Lost was going to play the minute we arrive and I told them why and then I integrated calligraphy and like quotes by Hemingway because showed them the booth where he used to write when he hung out at a specific venue. So I think it's a, it, it comes and it's, it's rooted in me wanting to be a writer. It's, it's being a good storyteller, yeah. but there is a difference. You cannot just be a teller in events. You have to be able to deliver. So you need to be a master maker, which is why I like the term producer. Okay. I mean, uh, one just from the out from an observer, I've I've seen you in action sometimes, and I I feel like you have an amazing memory. Like you have a really good ability to recollect details and recollect things and, and events and and, and to put together 
things that are happening in front of you with things from the past or facts that you know. Mm-hmm. And you have a good ability of, of bringing the people that you're working with to connect these ideas together. I, I've seen you do it and I'm like, wow, that's really good. Like, that's a talent. Do you nurture it? Do you ever train that ability? Do you ever like... I think the memory, I, I know I have a borderline autistic memory. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, I, I feel that, you know, you and I, uh, without revealing our ages, um, <laughs> I think we're, we're, we're from a generation where we, we studied on paper. So yes, memory was a number one tool at school. We were told if you don't know, there was no Google. There was no, let me look last minute. I think, well, yeah, I think my parents were like very strong and, and, and very strict about academic results. But also I grew up in an environment, you know, in Brittany, France. So for someone who's never been to France, if never, you look... N- never been to Brittany, at least I haven't well, been to Well, you, if you've been to Maine, uh, if you've been to Portland, you mm-hmm. know, this is kind of like the vibe, but it's it's not a huge town. I mean, when I was growing up, it was probably 80,000 people and it's right by the coast of the Atlantic, the Manche. Um, but I grew up in a home where books were always a priority, music was always a priority. So we were never, and I was never told no, and God knows I was devouring books. Like I remember my dad telling me lights out at 8.30 and I'm eight or nine and I'm like with a flashlight under the sheets, like finishing a book because I can't put it down. Um, you see, but, that, that's contagious though. I feel, like, yeah. I feel like that energy that you just described is contagious. Maybe that's where you and I kind of like, you know, urge, urge that on because yep. Because I see that in you, and I'm, I, it's contagious. I'm like, yeah, and I and I know I have that. Yeah. And I and when you see it in other people, a lot of creatives that have that ability to get into something, even when somebody's telling them stop it, and you're like, I can't stop myself. And, and, <laughs> I gotta and, keep I, going. and my dad and my dad would smile. You know, he would smile. He knew. Right. Because then the next morning, I'm like, I'm getting ready for school, and we're sitting you know, at the table for breakfast and I have bags, but I have a like stupid <laughs> smile because I finished the book, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, and that's all I wanted. I wanted to know how it would end. So they, they, my parents were awesome like that. It was not always about like, you know, getting the latest like awesome outfits that everybody wanted or, but if it was a book, a record, if I said, oh, there is this concert or this, you know, museum shows, they always, the best of their ability made sure that I would be able to experience it. Taking everything we just we just described and we just talked about into account, why graffiti? Why the attraction to graffiti? I moved to Paris when I was 18 to, to start studying and I experienced for the first time taking the subway every day and taking buses and it's boring. So I picked up two things. One which was really bad which were cigarettes. <laughs> But the other one is like you're sitting there and you're bored. And I kind of like started paying attention to like stencils and message and political statements. And that was kind of like an unplanned treasure hunt. Okay. And I remember there was one guy in Paris and he's still alive and shout out to Sagart, Alain Sagart. And he was really known in Paris because he was doing those like, um, Egyptian goddess eyes, you know, very simple, just like the black eye with like the long mm-hmm. eyeliner. Yeah, but yeah. everywhere, everywhere in the in the tunnels, on the train, he was not doing stickers, but stencils, whatever. And then he was also he had an alter ego where he was a classic artist, you know, represented in different various galleries in Paris. And I met him, and then 
within a few weeks, he told me the truth that he was also that other guy. Mm. And so I think it was not specifically because at that time it was street art or it's not specifically graffiti. To me, it's kind of large scale. It's in your face. It has this very kind of uncontrolled because it's not created for the purpose of sale or recognition in a museum or in an academic setting. Right. It's kind of like it's bursting out of you guys. Gotcha. And, and I look at jazz the same way. So I kind of like this kind of unwritten rule at the time. Um, right, right, right. No, absolutely. And, and I I'm like fine. this, I look at graffiti as a jazz jam, as a performance, which is mainly improv, yet improv cannot happen if there is not a very serious set of skills and experience. I got you. I got you. No, I mean, uh, what kind of advice could you give to somebody that would want to be the next Marie? <laughs> the young, that the, cannot happen the, and hopefully it will not. I knew you were going to say there's no other, there's only one. But what, what uh, I'm sure out there there's somebody listening to this podcast somewhere that we're going to be sparking the curiosity. I think you have to start with obviously doing something you love, knowing that many days and many times it's going to suck. What are the parts that suck? Anything from like dealing with clients to dealing with partners or, you know, management co-workers or in general sometimes you are not not every job you're going to do is inspiring you need balance whatever you're going to want to do and you need to be super honest and be like okay you need to make a living you are going to define what that living is for yourself you know what are your priority i happen to like good wines and expensive <laughs> shoes so my budget may not be uh the same as no, you know everybody. definitely not the same you have high standards <laughs> maybe sometimes um but but it's 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 kind of like you know being super honest with yourself and be able to check yourself but also surround yourself with people that are constantly going to inspire you and if you stay in the box of whatever is your industry or what you're trying to do and you become close or up to to anyone teaching you or mm -hmm. inspiring you or showing you how to do something a fully different way, yeah. then whatever your career path is, you know, within 10 years, you're going to burn out. Right. So it's like a job is a job, but a professional in French, we say vocation professionnelle it's a vocation it's a calling mm. and you have to make sure that your job always if possible remains a calling and it's not just a job when you say dealing with clients i'm sure you what you mean is probably like dealing with the difficult clients or, or difficult times with clients because sometimes it's not even the client it's just a situation it might make it difficult for everybody and and if you're in the service just, industry which oh, you know pe yeah. pe like there is such a misconception on producers guideline event, marketing, PR, people think that we have such a glamorous life because we're like sitting down drinking a martini and staying in a five-star hotel. You're not with the long cigarette? Well, <laughs> yeah, sometimes we are usually at the end of an event if we're still standing, but I've done loading event loadout where you're up for 26 hours and you're like barefoot or boring socks from like the production team because you can't wear your shoes anymore <laughs> you know so it's not all glamour it's not for everyone i happen to like all of it i like the interface with a client i like the the whole creative part i love the budget management part i love the logistic i like all of it i love being in a loading dock at five o'clock in the morning i like i love that <laughs> you know it's not for everybody i happen to like all of it but Either or, it's also changing. And I really think that a lot of people could get by working in event and creative teams and 
brainstorming teams in marketing or PR 20 years ago. Now clients have access to so much information, they have access to venues, so all you're left with is your know-how mm. and what you're going to bring to the table that they cannot find on Google. And that's yeah. super important to remember. You know, that's it's so funny that you say that because I still find situations where people that I work with in my day job or even outside of work um, that I work with on other, other projects, they just don't research. They no. don't they just don't lift the finger to just go click that button and, and find the answer to something. And it just drives me insane. I I've just never, don't get I've it. Never, I don't yeah. get it. I and don't. I've never gone to a client presentation without, if I have the name of all the people I'm meeting, you, you can be like almost sure. Of course, I'll know a lot about their corporation, their motos, their functioning, their founders. But if I'm able now with, with, with even social media and stuff, if I can find out what this client's favorite track is or what his favorite cookie is just because of a post on Instagram, you bet you that I'm going to, at one point, <laughs> manage use it. To, You're gonna use it, yeah. to use it. You're going to incorporate that information. Yeah, actually, the, the defense attorney in the Five Points case, I, one day when he was trying to be friendly with us, I said, you're not so bad because I know you do pro bono work for dog rescues and people <laughs> rescues. And he was like, how do you know that? I'm like, it's on in your, in your bio on your website. It's not that difficult yeah i think sometimes research you know it's as easy as just typing into google a, a, a couple of keywords but then i think you're the kind of person that probably takes a little further and goes yeah. deep dive and starts going a few clicks in and it's easy for me to remember so yeah all right marie well listen it's been so nice to finally get you on the podcast and to finally get your voice on here but uh, we're gonna have you back on. I think that you uh, you have much much wisdom to share with my crowd, and I think they'll appreciate it. Well, thank you so much. As I'm gonna have a really nice cashew nuts now <laughs> that I can not speak in it. <laughs> All right, thank you. Well, that was a really great conversation with Marie. Yeah. It's great to have somebody that is so experienced in the field of public relations, a field that is very demanding and competitive yep. and more here in New York City. Absolutely. Where everybody needs public relations, not only um, corporations, artists, organizations. But even upcoming artists or independent artists. Yeah. You know, this, um, this kind of field is something that... Um, it's kind of hard to define exactly the task and the role that people play because then you can hear from her conversation, she plays a lot of different roles. Exactly. And she's happy to do it, but um, it's hard to pinpoint, you know, a title for a person in that kind of field. Exactly. Um, so that's why you need to have, uh, you need to learn a little bit of everything in order to do it correctly for yourself. Yeah. So if you want to find Marie on Instagram, you can look her up at Marie Brittany to BK or you can also search for Five Points Creates and get in touch with her there. Yep. Thank you. Thank you Marie. culture talk yes Carla what do you got for us this culture talk so I have been working in retail for a couple of years now I mean it's a couple uh, like six years okay 
uh, since I moved to New York, that has been my career basically working in retail, different styles of retail from the more mainstream to now a little bit more um, exclusive and luxury type of retail. So I thought of um, getting together some advice for you if you're thinking on starting a career on retail or if you see this as an opportunity for you to open doors and grow. I feel like if you want to know a little bit more, why not share it with all of you? Yeah, and I mean, especially that um, there are, I mean, we're talking about culture talk and I thought it was a fitting subject for this. Yeah. Um, we're going through hard times right now. Some people are going to end up that we're working in different fields might end up working in retail because right. retail is a the kind of job that is usually open. They're For constantly anybody. hiring. Yeah, they're constantly hiring. You don't you don't really need you don't need experience in the in the specific field. Right. You can work your way up yes. from different stores, different yeah. kinds of tiers of stores. Also, you don't necessarily need a college degree to work in retail. Right. Yeah. So it's it's a it's a It's a way of getting a job that can open doors for you and at least get you into something. Mm -hmm. um, and also people, people, you know, there's a lot of Latinos. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That work sure. in retail. So I'm That think work this in is, retail, but then also a lot of Latinos that are consumers. So you well. are going to be a perfect fit for that position because you're going to be the one that can translate. You're going to be the one that can solve problems. Yeah. And that can even solve problems within your teams. I mean, so it's very important. I know you have some things prepared to speak on some yeah. advice, but, um, you know, just to kind of like put myself into this conversation, I would say, yeah. you know, growing up, retail was the kind of job that I, I took on just between going to school or, or while while in college. And it, mm -hmm. I think a lot of people have that story where they work yeah. retail as a first job just to kind of make some money. It's sometimes it's part-time, sometimes it's full-time. Mm -hmm. That's another thing about retail is that the hours can, mm -hmm. can vary and it's useful for that yeah. um, kind of lifestyle. Um, but retail ends up being something you kind of fall into. You kind of end up, somebody knows somebody or they see a sign that says now hiring or something and you kind of just end up working in it. And then it becomes, if you're good at it yeah. and, you, and you catch on and, you're, and you can get promotions and get little little right. raises yeah, yeah, yeah. it becomes profitable and so you stick to it yeah um, I know that in your situation when you came from Puerto Rico yeah uh, it was an easy step for you to get into right. well, I don't know how easy you tell me how easy it was but it was a an obvious step like get a retail job just to survive yeah for sure I mean um, it was like my first actual job job because in Puerto Rico I was doing kind of like summer jobs or part-time jobs um, that were seasonal Right. But for this time, it was kind of like a it was a part time job, but it was a, a permanent job. So for me, yeah, it was a little uh, challenging just the whole transition of coming from Puerto Rico and having to speak English all the time yeah. and having just to uh, share my stories with others like my teammates and clients and all that. That was challenging, but I think I. It was an easy transition in terms of um, I'm a fast learner, so I was able to learn very fast and just um, kind of like adapt to what they were asking for me to do. Right. Um, but yeah, let me just get a little bit into the advice that I have. So I divided this advice into areas. So because when you're working in retail, you're going to be working directly with clients 
but you also have to communicate with your teams. Mm. So I figured that I'll give you advice on both areas. Okay. Um, first, working with clients, I think that you need to be a very good listener. Uh, you need to be able to be there in the moment when you're helping somebody so that you can help them as fast as possible and that the experience is pleasant for them. Yeah. And then you also feel like you did a good job because you found exactly what they were looking for. Um, and that happens if you ask the right questions and also if you learn to listen. That used to be hard for me working with clients. Yeah. When I, when I worked retail, I, I was not very good at retail because I, I had a hard time... I think now I'd probably be better at it. Mm -hmm. But when I was young, I was very introverted. And it was very difficult for me to communicate with people like that. Yeah, that's definitely a challenge for introvert introvert people. But then also, just if you're like in the rush of the moment and you have too many things in your mind and you cannot remember what they're telling you, mm. you have to learn to pick and choose from the conversation, what is important and what's gonna uh, bring you business because at the end of the day it's about selling. And then what about the conversation is just, well, you're just talking. Right. Um, another thing is for you to be confident. So sometimes uh, it can be a little bit challenging when clients come with an attitude or something like that. But mm. if you're confident in yourself and in, the, in your work, if you know um, your stock room, if you know the things that you carry, if you know that you're doing everything possible to help the client and the customer you're helping, you shouldn't be afraid to just be honest. See, so there's, there's, so there's so many memes about working retail, right? There's yeah. so much negativity associated with it. Yeah. Especially like what you're, you're, you're describing it as clients. Yeah. But a lot of people just say customers, right? Yeah, yeah, the yeah. The common person would just say customers and they see it as something negative. How how is that adjustment from for you? How did you see yourself adjusting your mentality from thinking of it like I'm dealing with these customers and they're like a pain in the ass to I'm dealing with clients, people that I'm working for? Right. So I think that transition happened like the last year or so, having to work uh, with a company that is a little bit more... Not a little bit more. It's a luxury company. Right. So it's a different understanding of what is a customer right. and what is a client. We do have the difference. The customer is the person that just come and purchase something. You don't necessarily have a relationship with them. But the client is that aspiration that you have um, to have a relationship with this person so that they can become repeat. kind of like loyal to the brand and loyal uh, yeah. to you. Right, right, right. They can become so, repeat client. I got you, got you. That's okay. why now I'm using like the term client. But if you're working, let's say, in a Macy's, a children's place, something like that, yeah, they're going to be Foot customers. Locker. But um, <laughs> believe it or not, they can become clients because um, what happens is that people go to stores, let's say, that are near their houses or near their neighborhoods neighborhoods so you're gonna keep seeing them right. every weekend every week so at the end of the day yeah they kind of like uh their clients even though they're not buying expensive items but, but they they're coming you. back to you they recognize you they know you you know them because of the service that you gave them right correct so and and that happened the first job i had it was at the children's place and that happened a lot like we had repeat clients we'll see them like every day i even had a lady that she recognized me and we'll have conversations and stuff so that's part of, of 
clientele and connecting with people. Okay. Which, that's another advice. Uh, with clients and customers, um, you can look to connect into things that you have in common with them in having conversations. Um, sometimes I know that it's difficult because you don't want to overshare, but whenever you find something where you two have something in common, then maybe there you can kind of like expand and open the conversation so that it becomes something more. Um, when you're working with customers also, if you're trying to satisfy their needs and you don't have specifically what they're looking for, don't panic and try to think of solutions of all the things that you can offer because they're always going to appreciate that you're at least trying to help them find something that is similar to what they're looking for even though you don't have the specific thing they're looking right. for. Um, be patient. It's very important to be patient with yourself and be patient with them. Every person is different so you uh, will need to develop that. Because if you don't, then you're gonna fail. Like that's, that's be patient is not only for the clients, but it's for your teammates. You're gonna work with a lot of people that are different from you, um, different styles of learning. You're gonna have to repeat yourself a lot. So just be patient and go with the flow. Yeah, and not, not everybody's there for the same reason. Not, yeah. er, not every, everybody's working retail for the same reason. So that's another thing. Yeah. Um, also be empathetic, um, empathetic with the clients that come in, they might have an issue, they might have a problem, they might want to return. Sometimes that those are the most difficult conversations, but try to find a middle, middle ground with your uh, managers and then also with them, and that way they're gonna appreciate also that you're trying to help them. This is all trying to see the positive in retail yeah. and trying to find solutions instead of complaints because, uh, when we go to teammates, I'll talk about that. Um, uh -uh. <laughs> uh, and if you are in a store, if you're working in a retail store, retail location where um, sales are very important, this, this all depends. I mean, in all locations, sales are important. But in some locations, sales are going to become kind of like your priority. Uh, right. versus, let's say, a credit card, uh, versus the points card, right. stuff like that. Right, right. For example, yeah, some, some retail places might be more focused on the engaging of getting them to sign up for credit cards, yes. uh, helping out with sales, getting that multiple sale item yeah. thing, whatever, and customer service because they have a high volume of, of returns because and things like that. Because the sales are going to come anyway. Right. Because they have so Sale. many promotions, sales are going to come no matter what. Right. So then they're focused their um, strategies to for you to sell a credit card, for you to sell a point card. That's their way for you to reach a sales goal. And to capture, to capture the, a customer. The client, yeah. Right. But then in other stores, the that sale, the actual sale that you make, it's going to be a priority. And if it's, that is your priority... When you're working with clients, don't stop until they tell you to stop. That means that if they're looking for a specific item, you show them more, you show them more. Wow. <laughs> until they just verbally tell you, no, I don't want more. I know that's difficult. It is difficult for me. But believe it or not, sometimes um, when I put my mind into it, I'm like, you know what? This time I'm just going to try. It had worked. Hmm. So um, you just have to be able to listen to them. And just to um, capture them by doing that. 
and they're gonna appreciate it at the end because they're gonna be like, oh my god, I found something that I loved and I <laughs> didn't even see it. And, and you've had you've had customers, you've had clients that that uh. Yeah, yeah, and I had a like a big client that that happened and it was like a big sale, so I was very happy and you know. Okay, so let's go to working with teams. I think that working with teams is even more challenging than working with customers in retail because you have so many different people from different cultures, different age range, yeah. um, different environments overall. Yeah. So as I said before, be patient uh, because you don't know where they're coming from and Uh, sometimes there's frustrations behind the teams because they have been in stores for years and they see the ups and down and the all around so just be patient and learn to take from conversations what is gonna be beneficial for you but don't get uh, dragged into like the drama, drama yeah, yeah. and uh, the difficulties of the store or something like that hmm. um have boundaries so know how much to share about your personal stories but then also um, how much not to share you don't want to tell them everything these are people you're going to be seeing every day and it's true you have to build trust but at the same time you can you can know when enough is enough and with who you can talk a little bit more with who you can connect and who is gonna it's not it's just not gonna help you yeah That, so, that happens in offices too in corporate in the corporate environment yeah. sometimes you have to be aware of your teammates and who you can confide in and who you can't not that you don't like the person it's just that with some people certain lines of communication don't don't add to a better work situation yeah. mm -hmm. it actually confuses the exactly. work to do. and this I could even mean it like I might like some I'll put it this way Let's flip it to the point where I might say, I might actually like the person, yeah. but we could end up joking around more than we have to. Exactly. exactly. And lose the, the proper chain of communication where we can actually get stuff done. That, that we're working. We're not Ex friends right now. Exactly. And that even that is difficult. That's always difficult. What else you got, Carla? Also, um, learn to communicate uh, efficiently with your teams. And this is if you have a colleague that is at your same level or if you have to speak to managers, store directors, um, even corporate people. Learn how to communicate through writing, learn how to communicate through phone calls so that you make an impact in them and that they can trust you and also be reliable. And that way you're gonna seem, not, it's not like you're gonna seem like, you're gonna be somebody that they can go To. Right. If there's any issues, if there's any problems, you're going to be the person that they can trust. Mm -hmm. um, learn the store policies and then also learn Oof, all the processes of the store. Uh, for me, for example, at the beginning when I started as this new job, new job it was um, a little bit challenging. It took me a little time. But at this point, I don't need help of anybody to do anything on the register. Maybe here and there a new thing or something, but I try to learn everything so that I can do it myself so I don't have to rely on anybody. And then if anybody else needs help, I can jump in and just be there and help. Um, be helpful to with others because that's gonna make that others help you, but then also um, have boundaries when it's your time to work. It's your time to work. So know how to manage your time. 
um, sometimes in stores as a sales associate you need to do not only um, stock work but then also customer service so you need to know how to divide your time efficiently in order to do both um, because they're gonna ask you for it it doesn't matter if there is a department that does stock work you're gonna end up doing stock work um, so that's important um, pay attention to all the trainings and all the information they're giving you uh, sometimes it might seem like it's it has no point but it does so uh, just like there's a, uh, also a lot of downtime in retail sometimes so just use that time to learn a little bit more about what you're selling and be more um, knowledgeable of the things that you're selling so then when people come you know what to offer and be a team player like be present be the person that is optimistic and be the person that is um, the positive person on your team because <laughs> when you have too many people that are <laughs> negative that's easy being the negative and, one is easy yeah and you're the one you're the only one that is trying to do what they're asking you to do they're gonna look at you at you're the um, kind of like a fresh water within right right no yeah the, the desert you know yeah 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 absolutely I, I see so, that so so just try to stay positive and stay focused on your work and don't get too tied up into the negative you're gonna complain every time every day and that's natural but try that when they're asking for solutions you bring solutions to the table and um, when they're proposing solutions you're trying to say yes we're gonna try it even though in the back of your mind you're gonna be like oh my god this is not gonna work but <laughs> just be that person that, think, that is positive I, I think that that's all about impressions and having that kind yeah. of impression can go a long way especially in a, in a situation like of sales yeah. where where you know maybe sales are down or the economy's being affected you know being positive is your only opportunity yeah that's thank right. you Carla for sharing this with yeah us. no problem Appreciate it. I hope you learned a lot and get to work you wanted me to teach you right hablando español okay hablando español I got a couple of words Alright, I hope that they're not quarantina. <laughs> Are they quarantina? Quarantina. How do you say quarantine in Spanish? Quarantena. I, we did this for the quarantena? last episode. Quarantena? Quarantena. 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 Didn't right. we did this? I don't know. Ah, no, we didn't do uh, Hablando Español. No. Oh, okay. Well, so yeah, quarantine is quarantena. We're it on, comes from cuarenta. We're so on. It's supposed to be 40 days in the house. 40? 40. We are in day like 22, <laughs> so 20 more days to go. Yeah, we're going a little stir but, crazy. But I here. think they're calling quarantine um, any quarantine is period anything. of time that you need to stay home, right? Quarantine is any whenever anybody is isolated. Isolated. They're called. They're, they're, they use the phrase quarantine. quarantine them. Yeah. But quarantine, yeah, the comes original from word. The original, the old. <laughs> Uh, yeah, the the root of the word comes from forty days, yeah. but um, from from almost like from quarter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but uh, but yeah, we're we're going a little stir crazy here. Yeah, uh, a little bit in the house, uh, being locked. We're up. trying to keep it together, <laughs> but we are. We are. We are. We're just losing it a little bit. We gotta yeah. we gotta step out more. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. 
But we're doing good. We're here in NYC. Things are pretty grim. The economy's tanking. Yeah. Um, a lot of cutbacks, a lot of things, a lot of people's lives being affected. Um, that's why we thought it would be a good thing to have this episode where we maybe have... Yeah, if have you need to reinvent yourself, you know, like... Th- the, the most important thing about this episode is that you can do it and that the things that you have learned in other places you can definitely apply to new fields and retail is uh, very uh, always changing and yeah. and opening field and I think the skills the skills required or that you can learn yeah in, in that kind of job can be adapted to other places and also vice versa if you yeah. ha- if you've worked in other places you probably have some skills that are going to be very useful in retail for sure and you might succeed and it might be a place where you can a stepping stone where you can kind of find work and then move on once things get better yeah for sure back to the field that you wanted to be in or that you were originally in sure. um all right but let's talk but, let's hablar espanol because that's what we need that's right. we need if you guys learn anything in this quarantine, is to speak Spanish. You That's guys right. will learn Spanish. You have to. Okay. First word is... Yes. Friends. 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 France? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know you said friends, right? No, no. Yes, you did. France. 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 Okay, France. France is... Um, Fra- Francia? Yes. Okay. Francia. Francia. And how do you say French? French? Frances. Yeah, correct. Okay. How do you say events? Event. Ev- event. Eventos. 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 Mm-hmm. I, I was about to say in, inventos, and I was like, that's invention <laughs> now. Eventos. Events. Eventos. Yeah. How do you say yes. uh, listener? Listener. Listener. Mm-hmm. Like to be a good listener? Yeah. It's not escuchante. No. <laughs> <laughs> escuchante. Listener. No, okay, so how do you say listener? Oyente. Oyente. You see, I would have never thought, I just learned Spanish. Yeah. I learned Spanish. <laughs> I know. Oyente. Listener, o- oyente. Ser un buen oyente. Yeah, I was, I was a little bit... Um, Unclear about that one too. Because oyente sounds weird. Because escuchar y oír. So there's a difference between escuchar y oír. And I need to review that. <laughs> but. Um, yes, Miss Spanish. Oír is like really paying attention to the words. And, and escuchar is to just hear. I think. One is to listen and one is to hear. Yeah. Okay. All right. So the next... Oyente. Yes. The next is options. How do you say options? Opciones. Wow. That's easy. Honest. Honest? Oh, honest is good. Honest is... uh, Honesto? Yes. Okay. Honesto or honesta. Um, How do you say store? Tienda. Right. And my last one is, how do you say fashion? Fashion. Fashion. um, Moda. Moda. Correct. I think we spoke on that one. Moda. Fashion. Yeah, that one will probably throw people off. But moda, like mode. Yeah, do you have any words? Like the French word. Uh, No, I was going to say... 
Uh, how do you say sales? Ventas. Ventas. How do you say customer? Eh, consumidor o cliente. Okay. Um, is there a word for retail? So I looked that up and it's venta al por menor. Venta al por menor. Or another definition that they have is venta al detalle. Very interesting. I never heard that. Me neither. All right, all right. We have survived another episode. In quarantine. In quarantine <laughs> and another two weeks in quarantine. Yeah. And uh, we're so glad if you guys are still listening to us. We're so glad any new listeners that yeah. have joined us. Uh, we're on episode 94. This is incredible. We're counting down to 100. Um, we're going to keep going through 100, but you know we're yeah. not going to stop at 100. But uh, we want to plan something special for the 100th episode. For sure. And I'm glad you guys are around for this time. I didn't think that our 100th episode would be in, under quarantine, but I, I guess know. this is what never it's going to be. I never thought of this. Like, <laughs> never crossed my mind at all. Uh, but I hope you guys are staying safe. And any of you guys out there that are struggling right now, come on, stay optimistic. Yeah. Stay positive. Leave us comments. Let us know. And, you know, just stay safe. Stay healthy, too. Healthy is the most important thing.